Welcome to Life School Series 2, Bumps and Babies. As I record this today, I am currently 23 weeks and 4 days pregnant with my first baby, which I'm so excited to share I now know is a little girl. I'm still in the process of recording this series, and my plan was to start releasing episodes once I'd finished recording with all my wonderful guests. However, in light of the current global situation with coronavirus, recording for now is on hold. So I've decided to share with you the episodes I've recorded so far over the past couple of months. I know many of us are currently self-isolating at home with lots of time on our hands, so what better time to listen to your favourite podcasts or perhaps discover some new ones? As a first-time mum, pregnancy, birth and babies is a whole new world for me and I personally want to educate myself as much as I can before my little one arrives. From positive birth stories, information on hypnobirthing, water births, c-sections, baby massage and more, I hope throughout this series I can shed some light on just some of the areas you may be worried about or even just intrigued about. Thank you to all the incredible birth workers and women who have made this series possible so far and thank you so much for listening. My guest for this episode is Amy Vogeler, an American licensed midwife, international board certified lactation consultant, childbirth educator, and certified infant massage instructor. Amy is also a licensed baby calm and toddler calm consultant and the co-founder of Love Parenting UAE. Amy is an absolute fountain of knowledge and I loved sitting with her and talking all things babies. So without further ado, here's the latest episode of Bumps and Babies. Enjoy. Amy, welcome to Life School. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. So I want to start by talking about your own personal pregnancy and birth experiences because I understand you have two girls. I have two girls, yeah. Um, so how was your first? Let's start with the first. Yeah, so my first was, uh, we were, uh, my husband and I had already moved to Bahrain and I was um, working as a midwife in the hospital there, um, which as we'll discuss, was not my plan. I, my plan was to be a home birth midwife. And so I, um, that wasn't uh, an option in Bahrain. So I was working in the hospital and really found it troubling. And I had left that job and was teaching antenatal classes and helping with breastfeeding, which I loved. And then I became pregnant, which was very exciting. We were, we were planning it. And so I opted to go back to the US so that I could have a, a home birth with a midwife. Um, so we saw there was, a, there was a lovely British midwife in Bahrain who did my antenatal care. And then um, we met somebody, planned somebody in California. And we were really lucky. My husband's employer was willing to put us up for five months in a condo. So they didn't know we were planning to have the baby there, though. <laughs> so we went It was back. just worked out that way, it just was, oops, <laughs> in the tub. <laughs> But um, yeah, so we went back uh, for the summer. She was due in November, so I, I got had time to meet the midwife and you know travel around and visit friends and family. And then we settled in, and um, the midwife was a few hours away. So when I went into labor, we you know called her. She had a similar training to, to mine. Was I, I'm licensed in a different state, but very similar kind of training, and I liked her. And um, when I went into labor, I thought. Oh, well, this is probably just practice labor, you know, first time baby. And so I did all the things as a midwife I knew to do to try and, and knock it out and not make a 
whole night of it, but it didn't get knocked out and it kept getting stronger. So we called the midwife and uh, she was a couple hours away. So she started driving, she and her, her assistant. And my husband was getting the, we had rented a tub, we'd hired a tub, so he was getting the tub set up. So you up. planned for a home water planned birth? Planned for a home water birth was the plan. And uh, and I, by the time, and I was getting the bed ready because you, you kind of, you know, cover the mattress with plastic and put a couple layers of sheets on and I was kind of doing all that. And by the time I was done with all that, I was thinking, if she gets here and I'm only a couple centimeters, this isn't going to happen. Like, this is really hard. I'm going to have to go to the hospital and get some help. Unfortunately, when she did get there, maybe it was about six o'clock in the morning, um, I was six centimeters. And so she said, you can get in the tub, which was amazing. Was it instant relief? Like It people was talk instant about? relief. Not to the point where it wasn't painful, mm. but so much more manageable. You know, just really night and day. And I could move around more easily. And, you know, we kind of settled in then. And my husband held my hands and I, I labored. And it was just a couple hours before we, you know, I was fully dilated and I could start pushing. And then I had a really hard time pushing. I pushed for almost three hours wow. with that baby, which if I were in the hospital in traditional care, they might, you know, they probably wouldn't have let me do mm. that. Uh, and this was with squatting and hands and knees and moving around and but the baby was you know she was, my midwife was checking the baby the baby continued to be fine I continued to be fine we just kept going and she was finally coming and I remember having uh, you know I had, had such a hard time pushing pushing her out and she was right there and it was when the midwife finally said you know put your hands down and feel. And as soon as I felt her head there, my hands knew what to do because they'd mm. been trained to, to catch babies. And I thought, oh, now I know what to do. And other mothers who are not midwives have also told me the same, that once they put their hands there, they could wow. push, push the way they needed to push to get the baby out. And so she was born into the tub. Uh, the other midwife managed to catch an amazing photograph of her still underwater. Um, and I was sort of, sort of shocked at that point. I was waiting for the, you know, the midwife to, to grab her and put her up. And she said, no, no, you do it. And so we brought her up and it was amazing. It was the best feeling on earth to be done <laughs> because yeah. it was such hard work. And I really thought there's no way I'm going to get this kid out of me. She was 4.3 kg and just had rolls on her rolls. Wow. So I could then see why it was okay, so hard to get her out. <laughs> But it just felt so good to be done and then to get to meet her. And water birth babies tend to be a little bit slow to kind of come into the world because they're not entirely sure they're out yet. Mm, so because while, they've been used to being in still in, in the warm water. water. Yeah. It feels the same. So she, you know, she's we have pictures of her kind of looking at us, but she's still quite blue, which is is not uncommon in a water birth baby and so uh, I think the one of the midwives finally got her out and kind of stimulated her a little bit so she coughed up some mucus but she was absolutely perfect she was absolutely fine I then had a bit of a bleed a bit of a hemorrhage because my uterus was probably so tired mm -hmm. But the midwives, you know, had it all sorted out. They got me out. Uh, a friend of mine who was a midwifery classmate of mine from my, my own training was flying in from Washington State at the same time. She arrived just in time to kind of help with the, 
<laughs> with the postnatal stuff and they got my my um, bleeding sorted out. So you didn't have to go into hospital? Didn't have to go okay. in the hospital. They managed it all. I had a few stitches. They stitched me up right there. They tucked us into bed, you know, gave us something to eat, tucked us into bed with the baby. The, um, you know, the, the two midwives who I'd hired, you know, made sure everything was okay. And then they left. And then we were really blessed to have my friends who was there and stayed with us. So we had our, we called her Amy Poppins. She's also Amy. And she looked after us, but yeah, we just got to go to sleep in our own bed and, and cuddle in so. and wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, I have a baby. Where's the baby? There's three of us. <laughs> sort of a shock. But yeah, it was absolutely, it was, it was, I was very lucky. It was exactly what I wanted. It's what I had experienced as a midwife student many times. Um, and you never know if you're going to be able to do it. You know, you don't know what cards you're going to get dealt. Is there going to be mm -hmm. some kind of problem or emergency or does labor s stop? Do you need to go in and get help? So I was really, really very pleased <laughs> with how it worked. Yeah. Out. And I think because I'm planning a water birth, mm -hmm. but it is that thing, isn't it? I yeah. always say with the caveat of, but my baby might have other plans. You just don't know. But I really hope that I can have this experience because... It just, from all the water births I've been watching, yes, it doesn't eliminate the pain, but they are all so beautiful and peaceful. Mm. And that that ability to be able to have your baby, well, sometimes, you know, pull your baby out, but then also have it on your chest immediately mm. and have that time, I just think, oh, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's pretty nice. If, if given the option, that's definitely what I would recommend. Yeah. And then so with your second. Yeah. So then with my did second. Did you also want a home birth? I wanted to birth? do another home birth, water birth. I had I, I had a miscarriage between the two. So this is the other thing. You, you don't get to control much how, of anything. How soon after was it? So I fell pregnant when my first was about one and a half. Okay. And so we had the plan that we would go back to the same place. And my my sister was in uh, pharmacy school at that time, and it was it was the baby was going to be born in January, so she would be available during her winter break to come look after the toddler, because that was the the tricky thing. And then we could have the same midwife, and you know, hopefully have the same experience. Well, I I miscarried. I, I lost that pregnancy at uh, I was 11 weeks when I found out, but the baby had stopped growing at, at nine weeks. So. That was devastating, of course, and that whole plan got thrown thrown out. So when I uh, very fortunately became pregnant again, um, it did, did, the timing didn't work out. So I didn't have anybody who could be with my older daughter because with a toddler that age, by then she was going to be three, but you just don't know if they're going to be want to be at, at the birth or want to mm. be there the whole time. They need somebody who's with them the whole time, even if they're going to attend. So it was too complicated. So and she was in nursery, and so by that point we were in, we'd moved to Oman, and I was not working there. But we uh, so I, I saw a doctor. There was no option of seeing a midwife for our antenatal care. You'd get the midwife who was on call at the hospital. Um, they did. They 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 kept saying they had a pool. They had a tub. But when you went, it, you said, oh, great, can I use it? Oh, no, we use it for storage. They had it full of junk. <laughs> so they'd, art, they'd market it as having a tub, but there was no tub that you could actually I've put I've heard water. that this goes on a little bit still. It does happen, yeah. Yeah, I've happen. been warned that the tubs are there yeah. and they market it, yeah. but when you actually ask them to fill it up, yeah. no. it's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> that one was never filled as far as I know. And so, but, you know, I knew that. So I, I ended up writing up a six-page birth plan. <laughs> 
I was the nightmare patient because I was I knew exactly what I wanted and what I didn't want and uh, so yeah I, I went in and discussed that with my doctor and she ticked off and said okay 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 uh, of course when it came down to it there were still points where I didn't quite get the, the experience that we agreed to um, but I think because I had had a home birth because I would pushed out a 4.3 kg baby at a home they let me kind of do my own thing mm -hmm. and so what we found worked was we got in the shower I got in as soon as I got there so I with that one I went into uh, I went to labor by my water breaking first so I went to bed felt my water break, which didn't happen with my first until I was pushing. So that was a new experience, totally mm -hmm. different start. And, you know, waited a bit and then then realized we needed to go in. With second babies, they can come quite quickly. Yeah. So we made our way in and um, we got right in the shower. And so I would, uh, I think, uh, uh, during a contraction, my husband would kind of focus the shower on my bump and then between contractions on my back. and. While I would have liked the tub, it was a pretty good second choice. Mm. It definitely helped. And I came out of the shower um, reluctantly <laughs> when I started to feel like I was going to push. I would have happily stayed there, but they, well, they asked you they to wanted come me out. In, the, in the bed. Yeah. And then and I think, again, because of who I was and how I'd given birth before, they, they left us to it pretty nicely. Now, had I been a first time mother, mm. you'd want more support and, and help. But my husband knew what to do. And, so that was okay. And then when we got to the, uh, the delivery room, there was not a very nice midwife uh, on, on duty. And she sort of told me off because I was, I was standing and leaning on the bed, which is a great position yeah. to, to, to labor in, but also to deliver. She said, you have to get on the bed. You can't have this baby on the floor. And I said, of course you can. I've delivered lots of babies on the floor. But I knew they were going to want me on the bed, so the compromise that I had agreed to, that I had suggested, was that I would be on the bed on my side with my husband holding my leg, and, as opposed to being on my back, mm. which I know really closes your pelvis and can make things much harder and much more painful. And she had agreed to that, the doctor had agreed to that, but then of course as I'm lying on my side and my husband's holding my leg. and things are happening. She goes, well, of course you're going to lie on your back now. You're going to turn over on your back now. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, you know, the things that she agreed to in theory mm. didn't always feel comfortable to her in practice, but I did manage to stay on my side, which is a great way. It's a great position to, to labor in if you need to be lying down or you want to be lying down. And yeah, baby came about half the time it spent to deliver, you know, for the whole labor the first time. And rather than three hours of pushing, it was about three pushes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so second babies are nice. And same size? Smaller, oh, actually smaller. smaller. I took care the second time not to eat quite as much chocolate. <laughs> First baby wanted chocolate every day. Second baby, I said, no, no. So she was four, four kg. Still, that's quite big baby. Quite a big baby. Yeah. And with your second pregnancy, were you a lot more anxious because you'd miscarried previously? Definitely, until I got to the eleven weeks point, for sure. It's hard not. It's hard mm. not to be, and to of course question everything you did and were doing. I think that's universal. But once we got past that point, and we, you know, got a good uh, anomaly scan and all of that, you never fully stop worrying do you they they say the the, the work of pregnancy is worrying so yeah because yeah. I I didn't tell I told friends and family immediately mm. but then 
because my sort of rationale was if anything goes wrong these are the people that are going to know anyway but then I sort of told my wider circle of friends after 12 weeks but then so now I'm waiting for my 20 week and I'm still thinking is everything okay in there I mean it's too early to feel kicked so it like it's hard yeah it's hard to know if everything's okay Mm -hmm. and you get through one little milestone and then it's another Mm -hmm. and then it's another Mm -hmm. and I imagine that just continues all the way through um your child's life really yes that doesn't stop they're teenagers now it doesn't stop I mean my mum says that she's like Pete I still worry about you I'm sure she does I'm like oh this is it so it it just starts from day one basically as soon as you get that positive result the worry starts for sure yeah for sure and it's hard to it doesn't eat me up on a daily basis but just a few days before a scan I start thinking Mm. what if what if everything's Mm. not okay no no no, I'm sure it will be I'm sure it will be so yeah it's um yeah it's it's definitely a you know it it can be all-consuming for some ladies I know but it's definitely um yeah a, a whole new feeling of worry yeah like a worry I've never experienced yeah no before, before this there's nothing that you would worry yeah. about that much and so how did you get into this line of work so you mentioned before you were a midwife yeah so take us back have you always wanted to work with children I was um, always interested in children even as a young girl I was always interested in kind of child psychology and, and education and so when I went to university I was kind of thinking that's what I wanted to do that or theater <laughs> Okay. No, not theater. I'll go for it. <laughs> I could have been an Oscar-winning actress. This is the beauty of American <laughs> University. You can go in not knowing and figure it out. And so I was kind of leaning towards designing my own major in child study and started taking some women's studies classes, which was quite, it was kind of an uh, unofficial requirement where I went to, to university and um, got really interested in that and kind of got interested in women's female sexuality and healthcare. And what one day was looking for a paper, paper topic and kind of walking through the stacks in the library and came upon this section on midwifery, which I had no idea what a midwife was, had never heard of it, didn't know it existed, was not something I certainly ever encountered. And I pulled out the books and wrote a paper on it and was immediately captivated, just absolutely fascinated. And initially kind of fascinated from a feminist political perspective like what happened to midwives in the US in particular and you know why whereas in the UK they carried on and and kind of are the managers of normal birth in many settings is the US more like the UAE in that respect it's not not midwife led it's more medically led. it's all doctor led and in fact there you don't even get midwives as assistants you usually get a nurse a labor and delivery nurse and um, yeah if you have a midwife she's a certified nurse midwife usually and she's very much working under the medical model as opposed to the midwifery model and so I found that all really interesting and then I had the opportunity to see a couple births with a midwife and realized I actually think this is what I want to do and so it took me a little while to get there when I graduated um, I had a fellowship to travel overseas so I traveled for a year independent travel and research on midwives so I went to Europe I went to Holland which is where my dad is from and they have an amazing midwifery system and home birth um, practice and so I spent three months there and I lived with midwives and I went to all their appointments and I went to births in the middle of the night it was amazing 
And so then I was like, yeah, this is really what I want to do. And what I loved about that too is they, the midwives in Holland, they deliver out of the hospital, but they also can deliver in the hospital. Mm. So if the mother wants to go in the hospital and they'd have meetings with the doctors at the hospital, and it was all in Dutch. So I only understood tiny little bit of it it's funny you say that about holland because the other day i watched a video in finland and they um midwife led birth it was in a hospital Mm. but she let the lady birth on a stool Mm. um which i'd never seen before Mm. but i know that this is a very um a very comfortable way and effective way of of giving birth and then attached to the hospital was like a hotel hospital Mm. where you can stay for a couple of nights Mm. yeah and i was like wow yeah yeah yeah. this is amazing yeah yeah well the the thing that blew my mind when in holland was when the the midwives would meet with the doctors it wasn't the doctors telling the midwives what to do. It was very much a back and forth. And sometimes the midwives were telling the doctors what to do. It was very much midwives were the, the, the experts of normal birth and the doctors were only there if there was any complication, which is how it should be. That's what all the research shows. So, so when I uh, got back to the US, I, I went and worked. I had a whole other career for five years. I taught um, sex ed and uh, health ed and did training and traveled around the country and had a wonderful time but I was just called that I really wanted to do the midwifery so instead of there's in the US there's two paths you can become a nurse and then a midwife as like a master's level or you can just go and train as a midwife which is much uh, smaller numbers it varies state to state what the law allows um, some states it's still illegal um, it's actually illegal it's illegal still in, in many it certainly was at that point wow. um, so I opted to go out to the West Coast and go to um, uh, Seattle Midwifery School, which was a three-year direct entry midwifery school. So rather than being trained in the medical system and then becoming a midwife, you learn all the skills under the auspices of, mm-hmm. of midwifery. And it was, it was an amazing experience, um, lots of hands-on you know, clinical experience, absolutely loved it, passed, you know, uh, passed all my qualification exams, got my license, married my husband the next month and moved to Bahrain. <laughs> and was that because he had work in Bahrain? Yeah, he was already he was in Saudi when we met. Okay. And so I went to midwifery school after having met him. And yeah, we we sort of agreed, well we'll go do Bahrain for a couple of years and then head back. And that was eight nineteen years ago. <laughs> eighteen years ago. So yeah, so my whole home birth plan, I never got to work as a home birth midwife. The, the, um, the way midwives work there is a private practice, so you're an independent practitioner and you have your own patients, your own clients from pregnancy all the way through you, for the birth and then even after. And it's a, a model that I really think is amazing. We should all have access to. Um, I never got to I never got to enjoy it uh, as a midwife and barely as a patient so kind of ironic and when you moved to Bahrain did you know that home births were are they they against the law they they were actively illegal and I had talked to my husband had some midwife friends about you know working in the hospital and uh, when I was pregnant with my first I did look at whether it would be possible Mm. to you know if a friend flew out or somebody there agreed to help me and the problem there and then was uh, if you had a baby out of the hospital, 
you had to be able to prove that it was a mistake, that it, it happened accidentally. If they suspected you planned it, uh, they would call the police. They'd mm. call in the women police and, and, and investigate it. And of course, the person who was helping you would be at, at legal Liable jeopardy, as, well. as would you. So, plus, to be honest, at that point, at that time, I didn't trust emergency medical services to find us, let alone be able to, you know, if you did have an emergency, mm. you want to have you know, very quick, easy access Absolutely. to help and a hospital. And that wasn't the case. Yeah, I know how hard it is sometimes just to order food here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and direct them to the right building. Yeah, so. I mean, this was decades ago and it was, it was Bahrain, so it might be different here, but that would still be my concern is you really want to know that you're going to get, get help if you need it. So. And so coming to Bahrain, knowing that you couldn't maybe do or follow the exact path that you, you thought you were on, how did that then sort of, develop to what you do now with love parenting yeah. UAE yeah well it was it's all been a, a journey that I didn't necessarily plan and I think that's life that's mm. what I my, my daughters are now teenagers and I sort of keep telling them you don't you don't know what's gonna happen so uh, yeah so I ended up in Bahrain I tried working in the hospital that hospital had like an 80% cesarean rate they didn't tell they didn't calculate it but this is what I worked out just from so I delivered two ba or caught two babies in the five months that I was there and all the rest, either my shift ended and somebody else took over, but most of them went to theater and had, had a cesarean. And Amy, why is that? Well, that's a, that, that hospital, I could see <laughs> why it was. It was very much how the obstetricians practiced. I mean, sometimes cesarean is absolutely necessary and life-saving, of course, but I saw I saw some pretty upsetting things where, where labor was managed in a way that kind of directed it mm. towards cesarean. Or women were even encouraged before they went into labor to, to just have a cesarean. So um, so that was that was troubling. And I um, I decided I wasn't I, it wasn't for me. You know, I, I respect, I really respect midwives and doulas who work within a hospital system. It is just not my character to, to bite my tongue and, and do that. So I was happily employed by another hospital to teach um, antenatal classes, and I absolutely loved it. I taught, I started, and it was, the classes were free. Anyone in Bahrain could come. They were free. I could teach whatever I wanted. <laughs> it was amazing. It was a dream come true. And so I started out teaching five-week classes, and I had ta taught some uh, exercise, some pregnancy exercise classes for women as well, but then the, the couples classes initially were five weeks long. And then I gave birth to my own child and, you know, went back to the U.S. and, and um, when we came back, went, went back to work and realized that I had been focusing my five weeks all on birth and preparing women through pregnancy and birth. And now that I was a mother, I realized your birth's going to happen one way or another. Mm. That kid's coming out. And it's like maybe one, two days. Maybe a day. Yeah. If you're very unlucky, two or three days. But it's going to happen. So yes, you need to be informed. You need to have some skills. You want your partner to feel confident to help you. Very important. But <laughs> the really hard stuff is what happens after that. And so I kept adding classes. So we went from five weeks to six weeks because I thought we really need to spend more time on breastfeeding. And then you realize, well, breastfeeding only covers so much. We really need to have a whole mm. day on just what happens when the baby cries. And you know, do I need to sleep train them? And you know, all of that, bathing, all of that. So by then, I then had a seven-week <laughs> seven course. And uh, which was great. It was still free. You know, it was it was a wonderful experience. And then I could follow up and help people with breastfeeding afterwards. And it was really nice. 
but then we decided to move to Oman. We moved to Muscat. Um, Bahrain was a wonderful place, but five years on a small mm. island, we were ready for a change of scenery. And um, as soon as I had already ha experienced my miscarriage in Bahrain, and as soon as we landed in Oman, I, I got pregnant with my younger daughter. And um, so I, I think partly because I had had the miscarriage and felt anxious, and I'm not a very good pregnant woman. I have lots of nausea and mm -hmm. misery. And so we opted, well, let's just hold off, get everybody settled, get my big girl in nursery, you know, have the baby, and then, and then think about work. And it's harder to work in Oman than it was in, in Bahrain. So, um, so, yeah, so it was great. I, I had, uh, we were there for three years, almost three years, and I was home with both girls, and it was wonderful. And we, we had, um, you know, it's a small expat scene, and so we did our own little play groups. There was no, there was no, you know, activities, so we mm -hmm. had our own little play groups, and I did musical babies, and so I felt like I did a little bit yeah. of, of work-related stuff, but I didn't charge anything, and I was, I was there with my girls. And then just when my little one was, was going to be going to nursery and I was thinking, right, time to go to work, um, my husband's job moved here. And so obviously there was no point in starting a job then. So by the time we got here, it had been about four years since I had worked as a midwife. And I sent out my CV and immediately got called by a, a clinic, a pediatrician who wanted to hire me as a midwife, and discovered that they had a, uh, Dubai at that time had a two-year window that you could have a work gap. So I could not get a medical license through the Dubai Health Authority if I'd been off for more than two years. Oh, wow. And by then I'd been off almost four years. So, you know, the doctor who wanted to hire me kept saying, oh, well, you know, just go talk to them. I'm sure we can sort it out. And by that point, it had all become online, and it was all very much you either could or you couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I couldn't be a midwife. Had you told me that before, would I have taken those years yeah. off with my daughters? I don't regret the time that I spent with them. I think everybody should be able to take a few years off with their kids, but I obviously would have thought mm -hmm. about how long I did it. I don't know. I don't regret. I don't regret. But it's it. not like that in other parts of the world, it, though, is it? My license in the U.S. was still good no matter what. So yeah, it didn't so how occur would you have to known? me. It didn't occur yeah. to me. And so when I, uh, but, but then after I got here and sort of I worked in a nursery and I did a few different things, and by then they had ex increased the work gap to five years, but by then I'd been out for six years. So it just kept being out of my reach. So I, I worked at a nursery. I managed a baby unit and toddler unit part-time while my, my kids were still pretty small. It was nice. It was a containable job, right? You're there during the hours that you're there. And then when you and leave, when you're you can home, switch off. with your kids, and that was perfect. And I, taught, I started teaching um, baby massage to get my fix of, of working with moms and babies. And part of, the, part of the reason why I did that was there was a woman here who had been, uh, who was a lactation consultant. Um, but couldn't get DHA license. Same lot of women in my position who've had too, too much too much time off, uh, and so she was an infant massage instructor. And at that time, Dubai had licensed her as a massage therapist, and so she could work in the clinic as a lactation consultant because she was a massage mm -hmm. therapist. I said, "Well, I can I can do that." <laughs> so I went and trained. I went to the UK and trained in the baby massage uh, classes. Well, by then they had realized that was not really being a massage therapist but it was it was lovely to teach classes and start to work with moms and babies and then the nursery was sold was bought by another company and um, when you know it looked like I wasn't going to stay on uh, I 
approached my friend Jasmine, who teaches amazing hypnobirthing classes, and we had met because uh, I was renting a room out at the nursery, the nursery where I worked, and she had come to, to hire the room to teach classes in. And I said, would you mind terribly <laughs> if we joined up? And I'm thinking of taking, by that point she was teaching hypnobirthing and she'd also trained in baby calm and toddler calm. And I said, you know, would it, would it, do you think it would be a, a problem for you if I went and got trained in that and we taught together? We joined forces and she said, oh my God, let's do it. And uh, so we formed Love Parenting UAE in November, December of 2013, I believe. And we've been together ever since. And I and it worked out really nicely because when I was teaching antenatal classes in Bahrain, uh, I found it really frustrating. Um, I loved it, but I could teach all these wonderful information and skills during the class, and then they would go back to this hospital with the 80% cesarean section rate, and the doctor would do mm. what the doctor would do. And I always felt like I had failed or, you know, that I couldn't give them what they really needed to be able to get the birth that they wanted. And yet here Jasmine I saw with hypnobirthing was having a lot more success than I felt like I had ever had. So uh, it worked out really well that she carried on doing the amazing hypnobirthing that she does and finished her qualification as a clinical hypnotherapist. And I took over all the postnatal because, as I said, I really came to believe that that was what was most missing. That's what people really needed. And yeah, even for me, I'm so focused on the birth, what kind yeah. of birth I want, learning about different types of births, hypnobirthing. I, I, that's all my sort of, that's where all my energy goes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I need to also invest some energy into learning what happens when my baby comes yeah. because I don't know anything about breastfeeding yeah. or you know sleep training a baby or any of it that's a whole new world yeah. as well so you're so right people really focus on the birth yeah um especially first-time moms that's to be expected right yeah. when you're pregnant it's just about all you can do to imagine that you're going to give birth and it's not <laughs> till the end of pregnancy and of course when you're feeling all that movement mm -hmm. you're seeing the hands that you start to think oh there actually is a, a person attached <laughs> But you still don't. What I hear from mothers again and again and again, and fathers, is that, why didn't somebody tell me? You know, why didn't somebody tell me? I didn't know breastfeeding was going to be as hard as it was, or I didn't know that motherhood, parenthood was going to be as challenging. And that was the nice thing about when I taught the whole series, that you came for the birth information, and then I snuck in the postnatal yeah. information. So Jasmine and I try to do that. A lot of her hypnobirthing families, um, she strongly encourages that they, they take some of the postnatal stuff and then I'm kind of there to catch them when the baby, catch the mothers as opposed to the babies yeah. once the baby arrives. I've got a mother just now as I was coming over who's just given birth who I'm, who I'm supporting with, with breastfeeding. Oh, wow. So that I find really, really rewarding. And so Love Parenting UAE supports you right from when you first get pregnant to after you've had your baby. So things from breastfeeding to sleep training. So you really help families and women throughout the whole pre and post natal yeah, journey. Yeah, and right even through the toddler years. So I've got a few wow, toddler okay. parenting classes as well. So we get a lot of people who start with Jasmine's hypnobirthing and then carry on right through because everything kind of has the same approach, mm. you know, very much evidence-based, very much about having a gentle and calm birth and having a, a gentle, calm, successful breastfeeding mm. experience and trying to keep the, the fourth trimester, the first three, four months that the baby's on the outside as calm and gentle for everybody as possible 
comfortable and then you come to baby massage and it's all again about how, uh, baby calming techniques but mm. also just about um, boosting mother's confidence and yeah. giving them the information and the, the, the confidence to trust their own instincts I find is mm. one of the hardest things that moms really get a lot of contradictory They're bombarded. advice. They are bombarded and so well, finding actually, your own path. That, that leads me nicely onto something um, that I've been asking a few ladies so far during this series. What are some pregnancy and birth myths that you'd like to debunk? Because I feel like as soon as you get pregnant, people love to give advice and it's with the best intentions. But already a lot of the things I'm hearing are quite um, contradic contradictory sometimes. And, and sometimes I've already done research on a particular thing and then someone tells me something and I think, I don't think that's, that's right. Mm. So what are some of the things that you'd like to debunk? Oh gosh, there's so many. It's hard to choose. I, I tend to focus in on the... Um, well, a big part of it is just the idea that you can plan for everything or that you can control it. And I, in the baby massage class, I ask, we, on, on the last, cla last class, the fifth class, we share birth stories. And so I hear a lot of birth stories and the, kind of the full range from I had the birth of my dreams to, you know, some mothers who are not only really... Um, sad about their experience mm. or disappointed but even traumatized you yeah. know, can have birth trauma and everything in between and uh, the mother and <laughs> you cannot uh, label a good birth because one mother's amazing hypnobirth water birth is another mother's worst nightmare Absolutely. And I get mothers who say, oh, no, I knew I didn't want to be in labor. I planned my cesarean. I loved every minute of it. I loved the recovery. It was exactly how I wanted. And the woman next to her could be horrified at the thought. Mm. So you can't compare births. You can't. Um, you can't always plan and control. In fact, there's very little that we can plan and control. We can. We, the most important thing we can do is think about who we hire to help us. Mm. And uh, because what it often comes down to is whether your birth is satisfying or disappointing or even traumatic is how you were cared for, mm. how informed you felt. So a mother who may not have gotten, she might have been planning a, a physiological birth or a water birth, but things went wrong and she ended up having to have some interventions or maybe she needed an induction or maybe she even needed a cesarean. If she felt like every step of the way she was involved in the decision making, she was given options, she was given the opportunity to question and make and make educated, informed mm -hmm. choices, and she felt safe and respected and honored and all of that, she can come out feeling like it was a good experience, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't the birth she wanted. And then I get mothers who, yes, by all outward appearances, they had the physiological birth. Maybe they had, they used hypnobirthing, maybe they used water, but they felt like somebody was not informing them, was not caring for them, didn't show up. You know, the midwife was reading her notes the whole time mm. and didn't help out. Or somebody says something unkind or just kind of thoughtless or, you know, anything that comes across. We're so vulnerable. Mm. We're physically vulnerable. We're psychologically, emotionally vulnerable. Your hormones make you vulnerable. Your hormones have you primed to be in tune with your baby. Mm. And so you're in tune with even facial expressions, right? You yeah. can sense somebody's energy. And so if somebody comes across or, or is, is actively 
unsupportive or unkind, that can be as devastating as actually having a physically traumatic birth. So I really feel like choose wisely, you know, mm. meet your meet your caregivers. Um, and if you feel like you're not gelling, even up to the last minute, we've got lots of mums who will will swap around, seek a second opinion, maybe even switch switch doctors or switch hospitals. Yeah, and I think um, even literally earlier this week, I saw on a Facebook group I'm part of a lady saying that she feels really uncomfortable with her doctor. Um, I think she was sort of in the late twenties weeks, but her husband wants her to stay with the doctor. It's too much fuss changing, but she really doesn't feel comfortable. And I commented along with loads of other ladies just saying, you have to feel comfortable. Don't feel awkward. Don't feel embarrassed. At the end of the day, you're paying a lot of money as well yeah, for yeah. this, for this insurance and this, um, this healthcare here, which is, uh, the facilities are amazing. We're so lucky to have them, but don't feel any awkwardness yeah. about changing doctor at any stage. I've been speaking to ladies who have changed right, uh, right to the end yeah, because sure. they just felt something wasn't quite right. Yeah. And, and again, but it comes back to that confidence of trusting your instinct. And a lot of women just don't want to be a bother. Yeah. I don't want to cause trouble. Yeah. I don't, you know, and it's so silly because it's, this is your body. This is your experience. And it's your baby. And it's your baby. And what I see again in hearing all the birth stories is, I mean, I, I meet a lot of mothers who do sw stick up for themselves mm -hmm. a lot during their first birth. But very commonly during the first birth, they sort of let, let every, everybody else decide and go with the yeah. flow and don't want to be difficult and don't want to be that person that I was with the six-page birth plan. Oh, I'm, I'm more like you, Amy. I'm already, yeah. But then they find that, you know, maybe their baby got swept away from them against their wishes, or maybe, you know, breastfeeding wasn't managed well, or maybe, think, and then and they'll say, oh, for my next one. And with the second baby, that's when they say, absolutely not. I don't care what you do to me, but I need to stand up and be the advocate for, mm. for my baby. And um, I, I, I would love for mothers to feel empowered and strong enough to do that the first time. And I feel like one of here, where, where home birth and midwifery is not really going to be your option, I do feel like hiring a doula mm. is one of the best things. Take a good antenatal class for sure. And I think hypnobirthing is great, but having someone there with you the yeah it's it's really something that from sort of day one as soon as I found out I was pregnant I just immediately immersed myself in this world and I mm. wanted to know so much and I and I sort of I don't know I'm I'm loving it as well finding out like I'm really interested yeah. as well it's something that I'm feeling I'm quite passionate about already and one of the things that I quickly picked up on from friends previous experiences mm. here even family is that okay I need to put things in place here. Yeah. Of course, my baby will decide how it's it, how it's going to come. Maybe my baby will be breached. Maybe the umbilical cord will be right. right. Who knows? Yeah. But I can put things in place. And doulas was the first thing I looked into because yeah. I thought, look, luckily, you know, my husband wants to be really involved, mm. um, but he also doesn't have the experience of, you know, he's never been at a birth before. Right. Um, and, and also he's sort of going to be by my side. I want someone as a buffer also between me and whether it's the doctor or midwife, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm trying to put those things in place because that's all I can really have control over. That's I it. can't really have control over anything else, no. but I can be as prepared as possible. Yeah. And the doula will support him. So and support that's him. the beauty yeah. of a good doula is that she's going to help him with his skills that he's learned in a class, but also just, I mean, 
as you said, he's never been to birth. We have such high expectations of dads to attend their first birth. It's the person they love and their child. It's all very overwhelming. And then we sort of mock them if they get dizzy or pass well, out. As a student midwife, I got dizzy and wanted to pass yeah. out. I've seen student doctors get dizzy Well, I was going to say, out. you must have seen a lot of people, not just fathers, but people just that have never been in that scenario before just completely lose it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean I, I said to my husband look if you don't want to be in the room i'm okay i honestly don't mind mm. but he really wants mm. to be he won't want to miss that he wants to do the hypno but so i'm like okay yeah. i've been very it, it really doesn't it doesn't bother me because yeah. i think i'm not going to force him yeah. into a situation he doesn't want to be in yeah. um and i know quite a, a few dads actually that have ended up in this in the c-section in in the theater mm. and by accident have seen the other mm. side yeah. of the and that has been That's they have been traumatized yeah. um i've also known dads that have then ended up seeing the force and just things that they it's it's really been traumatic Can't get them out of their head. Yeah. so you know i from day one i was like look we don't know how this is going to go so yeah. if you don't you know you'll be in the vicinity but if you don't yeah. want to be right there yeah. but he seems like he really wants to be so i'm yeah. like okay we'll just we'll go with that you can see why you wouldn't want to miss the arrival of your of child course, <laughs> of course but it's also i understand how it could be really yeah. scary yeah. and and that's why i think having i mean my husband had two midwives there who were really supporting him and that made a huge difference and then the second time around he knew what to did expect did he surprise you at all or was he how you thought he would be he was he was how I, I thought he would be pretty, pretty good. Yeah, he would, and we had done, uh, we'd done a childbirth class together, even though obviously I taught classes, yeah. but I wanted him to have the class. And it was funny because it was, um, it was the Bradley class in the US, but we were the, I think we were the only couple planning a home birth. Maybe there was one other. Anyway, the dad spent the entire class how will I know when to get to the hospital on time? What, how, wait, wait, no, let's review this again. How will I know to get to that? My husband just kept saying, why are you going to the hospital? Because <laughs> he was so relieved he didn't have to worry yeah. about that. But yeah, no, I think he was he was exactly how, how I expected him to be. He has um, surprised me and surpassed my expectations as a father, for sure. Wow. Yeah, he's an amazing father. Um, but yeah, I think a, a, a doula is an important choice, and for people who are who are not sure how to afford it, I would say put it on your um, baby shower list. You need it far mm. more than you need most of the junk. Yeah, <laughs> we have for babies. No, that's a, that's a really good point actually, because it's it's an investment. Yeah, and the amount of things people buy you. Yeah, most of it you won't use. You don't need a use. wipes warmer. You need a doula. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it's it's on my. Luckily, I, ha I still have a little bit of time, mm. and it's up there mm. on my priority list. Yeah. It's it's there, and uh, I hope I hope I can I can make it happen yeah. because um, everyone I know that's had a doula has just said it is the best thing they ever did. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully yeah. we can make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So any other myths? particularly pregnancy because this is this is where I'm at right now well the one that worries me I mean I, I if you if you're hearing some myths I'm happy to, to try and debunk them but the one that I come across uh, again is a is a doctor um, um, promoted myth mm. that you that I, I'm seeing a little bit less now but I'm often seeing mothers whose due dates have been changed because of ultrasounds I've heard about this and I mean a first trimester ultrasound is very accurate at dating your pregnancy how many weeks your baby is 
second trimester less so by your third trimester it's plus or minus a couple weeks mm. so if you have an early ultrasound it really upsets me <laughs> to have mothers told that they're they're actually due sooner or I mean mm. it never seems to be later it always seems to be sooner based on their late pregnancy ultrasound because that's really setting you up for being pushed to be in a hurry. Because then when you're induced, you yeah. think that's because you've gone over, exactly. but you might have two weeks You window. might still have two weeks where your baby isn't even due yet. So you want to have a really good menstrual date, if, if possible, if that exists, or conception date, but a first trimester ultrasound is what I would go with. So for me, I, uh, I'd had, I basically had come off the pill in the January and I was getting my regular periods and then in the July I stopped getting periods mm. and it turns out that I had polycystic ovaries mm. and the pill had been regulating my right. periods or that or it could have been yeah. and so my doctor you know gave me some advice on what to do and I was researching about polycystic ovaries that was in the October mm. and then at the beginning of November I was back in her office saying I've taken three pregnancy tests <laughs> I'm pregnant we did the blood test yes you are so it was very difficult yeah. to know exactly when this baby was conceived. I didn't have a last period to go yeah. on. So I did do a scan very early on. That's and she dated me at six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks, two days. Yeah. And that has remained consistent. Yeah. So I hope that, you know, we'll be, we'll be kind of accurate yeah. because... I know that here, and correct me if I'm wrong, they also are quite keen to induce. Um, whereas in the, the UK, it's, they're a bit more laid back about letting you go. Yeah. I think, it, is it 10 days in the UK you can go over by? I, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't know. Before, the they, before they start sort of it, suggesting uh, The, the trick now is that some of the research seems to be pointing towards inducing at 41 weeks, though it's still debatable. And so that would be just seven days over That's just seven term. days. So I don't know what they're doing in the UK because mm. the UK does tend to be more lean more towards non-interventionist. But I know here and in the US, doctors have kind of focused on the, well, 41 weeks is safest. Um, and you know the research there does seem to be some research showing us that but it does not take into account necessarily how the doctors in the study managed mm. what happened after 41 weeks it also doesn't take into account a mother's wishes and and plans you know so would if, I have a right to say at 41 weeks this is the if thing. my baby is okay if, if everything we, is fine I don't want to be induced exactly you always have the right to decline uh, care you always have the right to ask um, you know what are my alternatives mm. what if we wait a little bit longer you know what would be the risks and benefits of doing it now as opposed to waiting and then you have the information um, and it, there isn't a clear answer for for every mm -hmm. mother and you can just do close monitoring and checking on, on mother and baby is is it does that mean that you're risk-free as as many midwives say birth is as safe as life gets it's very safe there's mm -hmm. always risks you know I have risks when I drive home mm -hmm. today um, so yeah, it's, it's you have to, to measure the information, the data, your trusted healthcare provider's opinion and experience mm -hmm. and you know, professional advice and your own values and plans and hopes and wishes. And none is you know, necessarily more important than the other um, depending on the situation. So a mother and baby who are doing fine, you can take all those three things yeah. into account. If somebody starts to be in trouble, 
obviously it's going to change the the dynamic of course but if baby is okay then you know i personally would rather not have any intervention i'd rather baby i believe the baby will come when the baby is ready to come so if she's still cooking in there (laughs) maybe she needs another you know few days for sure and before we move on from from debunking myths there is one that I got very early on from from people close to me because I have cats. Mm-hmm. Um, so for any any mum mums to be listening that have cats, maybe this is also something they've they've uh, been researching in and questioning. So because I have cats, my cats don't go outside and have never been outside. Mm. But I had a couple of people that were like, "Well, what are you going to do with your cats?" Mm. And I was like, "What during do you mean? the pregnancy or after baby arrives?" No, during my pregnancy. Yeah. And I was like, "What do you mean?" Well you know cats can be quite dangerous during pregnancy and you definitely shouldn't go anywhere near their litter tray so i started to research this and i understand the litter tray Mm. but because my cats don't go outside Mm. you know i wear gloves i wash my hands after Mm. i don't think it's but but tell me is that what is what are the facts actually around having cats and being yeah so the concern is toxoplasmosis which is a serious infection that can affect that can affect the fetus um the fact that you had cats before you were pregnant means, uh, and if you'd ever had cats that did go outside or had been previously infected, you'd probably already been exposed, which is good. You, then you're, then you're, so you're kind of like immune. You're kind of immune. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the recommendation is to avoid or be careful with cleaning the litter because there is, and, and your doctor can even do a blood test for, for toxoplasmosis mm-hmm. to see if you've been previously exposed. Um, but yeah, it's, um, uh, again, it says life is as safe. Uh, birth is as safe as life gets. There are ways that we can reduce the risk. Um, I had cats too, <laughs> and um, I think I had other people take over the litter scooping just to be on the safe side. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're if you're careful and you have cats who are not infected, then you know it's pretty low then risk. Then it's fine. It's pretty low risk. And then you mentioned about when the baby comes. Yeah, so I wondered if that's what they were worried about. Um, no, my mum has said that you just need to be really careful in the early days. You know, my cats sleep on my bed, so obviously that's not going to be happening because yeah, yeah. baby will be next to my, next yeah. to the bed. Um, but to me, that's sort of common sense. Yeah. You, know? you just want to make sure that they're not going to get in the bed because my cat certainly wanted to be wherever the baby was, was the center of attention. Yeah, They wanted to be there, so you want to make sure they're not in there when the baby's mm. sleeping and unattended. Um, but honestly, having pets is great for kids Mm. it's great for them just because it's fun but it's great for their immune system the research seems to show that kids who have animals in the house have fewer allergies eczema autoimmune disorders that that being exposed to all those germs is actually good farm kids are the healthiest kids you'll meet because they get exposed to all kinds of germs that um, help their immune system not attack themselves yeah okay so Mums-to-be that are listening that have cats, you're fine. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> be careful with the litter. Be careful with the litter. Wash your hands. Yeah. Wear gloves. Or have um, somebody else do it. Take, you know, it's a good excuse not to have to scoop the poop. <laughs> Is it really sad that, like, I prefer doing it? Do you it? like to do it? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, Rami will do it, but I just, it's part of my it's sort of routine. routine. I do it in the morning. Yeah. I do it at night. Yeah. I sweep up out. I, you know, I do it properly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, that, that's one you. of my jobs, you know. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask as well for mums to be listening, what would be your top three either items, services, or just general investments that you would recommend um, oh, going for? so hard to choose. Um, uh, 
I think, and it, uh, we already mentioned the doula. The yes. doula and a good lactation consultant afterwards, I think, are important investments, mm. essential events, investments for a lactation consultant. But um, just to think about items, um, not the traditional, like I said, most of the baby stuff we are given or bought, we don't need or end up using. But the ones that I've find from myself and from the thousands of people I've worked with, um, a good lazy boy recliner mm. rocker. Best thing I ever bought. I bought two of them. And uh, the, the gliders, the breastfeeding chairs are so uncomfortable. And in my breastfeeding, my antenatal breastfeeding workshop, I actually teach a laid back breastfeeding position, which works better for a lot of newborns and uh, is kind of a good sustainable. So having a chair that you can actually lean right back in, but also rocks, but it's comfortable, is a dream. Plus, at the end of pregnancy, when you cannot lie in bed comfortably, you can sleep in the recliner mm -hmm. if you have to. So while we don't want you spending a lot of time reclined because it may get the baby in a, in a less yeah. optimal position, if it's the only way to sleep, sometimes that's a dream. So I'm a big fan of a good lazy boy recliner. Um, rather than a nursing pillow, though, if you need a nursing pillow, there are some that are better than others, but just have a lot of good squishy bed pillows mm -hmm. um, because in the laid back position, we want pillows under mom's back and neck and head, under her arms and under her knees. And so when I do home visits and I'm trying to, it's often something I, I help because it's not taught in the hospital. So it's mm -hmm. something that I'll, I'll teach in my class and then I help with at home. It's, I'm running from room to room grabbing <laughs> pillows and cushions to get. So just go buy a bunch of inexpensive. You can also use them under baby if mm -hmm. you're doing upright breastfeeding, um, but they're nice to have because otherwise dad ends up sleeping with no pillow. <laughs> um, Still all the pillows. <laughs> and the last, the third item I think is a must have is a good baby wrap or a sling or carrier. Mm. You don't necessarily want to buy it before baby arrives because you won't necessarily know what you want. Um, and one size does not fit all. In fact, I had three different ones that I used over time, um, but it can make a huge difference. I just had a mom the other day whose baby, you know, all, all indications were that the breastfeeding was going well, baby was getting enough milk, but baby was just miserable going through a growth spurt, couldn't be put down. I said, get the, get the wrap out. Mm. Um, once we know feeding is good, that's, that's the next thing, kind of get the baby and back in that womb-like place. You get and then your, you can move, your it's like your hands are free. are free. You could feed yourself something mm. for a change. So, um, and I, I saw that Eggs and Soldiers is doing baby, baby wearing, um, uh, free or I think free um, sessions now because we haven't had anybody doing it for a while so that would be something mm. I would highly recommend checking out um, and go try a bunch in my baby massage we do um, baby wearing show and tell in one of the classes so we all bring our carriers and even if you've never oh. worn it or tried it or you're afraid or you're intimidated we get it out mm. and we, we it makes a huge huge difference and I wanted to ask with the lactation consultant this is someone that comes to your home. They don't come to the hospital. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, you're not going to get automatic follow-up here. You'll get discharged from the hospital. If you're lucky, you'll see a lactation consultant in the hospital. Not every hospital has one. Uh, and even in the ones that do, she's usually the only one, and she's busy. Mm. And she may not be on duty, or it may be the weekend. So if, you've got, if they've got one, ask for her. If they don't have one, ask for the midwife who's the best yeah. breastfeeding helper. Um, but then every baby, every breastfeeding baby should be seen by a breastfeeding specialist minimum 
two times after discharge. So every baby really should be seen between days three and four, and again between 10, days 10 and 14, so around two weeks. And that has to be someone who actually knows about breastfeeding. And uh, they're not gonna knock on your door. The health, health visitor does not turn up here. Um, if you're at a hospital that has a lactation consultant, she may invite you to come back and do that, which is great. Um, but otherwise, they basically send you home and say, right, we'll see you at six weeks for, for your postnatal check, and we'll see the baby at eight weeks oh, for that's the jab. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. So much can go yeah. wrong in that time. Uh, worst case scenario is that you know the baby doesn't doesn't get enough food. Best case scenario is that baby just ends up not getting to breastfeed, which is is unfortunate. Mm. If the mother's goal was to be able to breastfeed, that breaks my heart. I worry most about the babies who aren't getting enough food. So uh, I encourage people to, in addition to taking a class and kind of learning how to know how to tell yourself if babies are getting enough you need to set up those follow-up appointments. And is that something you do, Amy? Are you I, a lactation I consultant? I offer it somewhere. I am, a lact I, I am a lactation consultant. I offer that for people who've taken my workshop, okay. but I'm not medically licensed here. So if it's anything medical or if it's somebody that I don't know, I really recommend. I love the, the um, feedback I get about the ladies at Health Bay Polyclinic. Okay. Uh, there's a great lactation consultant at Parkview Hospital who used to be at, at Health Bay. Uh, and there's a couple other people I'm mm. hearing good things about but they can either come to your house or sometimes you can go to the clinic but having someone come to your home much more comfortable you can get a midwife out to check check mm. you as well and and they need to you know assess the baby and weigh the baby and look at the jaundice but they need to watch a breastfeed mm. And uh, I have yet to find a, a, a lot of pediatrician who really has that skill. Yeah, because my mum actually asked me the other day. She said, so when I had you, I had my midwife in the hospital, yeah. and then a couple of days later, she came back to my home mm. and checked in on me. And my mum said, how does it work in Dubai? And I said, do you know what? I'm not actually sure. I need to check that out. So that answers my question. You have to set that to up. Set up. Your insurance may cover it. It could be considered well the, baby care, but you have the to wheels make in the motion. call. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, may, it can make a huge difference. And then if there's any problems, it may be more visits than that, right? Two, two is the minimum. Yeah. They may, may need more help. Um, but then once you meet that um, midwife lactation consultant, she can often do your well baby care. So the ladies at Health mm. Bay have baby clinic, and you can go and get your weight checks and your developmental checks, and they can even do the jabs. That's what I recommend. You want a pediatrician if you've got an unwell child. Mm. You want a midwife lactation consultant for well baby care. Okay, another thing on the list. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My list is getting it's longer getting by the week. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do a quick fire round now. Okay. Um, I mean, we've, we've kind of touched on this already, but what's your one piece of advice for first-time mummies like myself? My one piece of advice is um, be careful with other people's advice. If you're getting advice or you're reading a book or you're you know listening to a, a podcast or a program and it's just not seeming right to you mm. or it's not working for your baby, don't assume that you're doing it wrong. Just throw that advice away and look for something else. There's such contradictory advice. Uh, you pick up one book and it'll tell you one thing and you pick up another book, it will tell you the opposite. And so the trick is to find what makes sense to you which will be different after your baby arrives compared to mm -hmm. what you think before baby arrives. And then also what works for your particular baby because each one is different. And if you're trying to squeeze your baby into a, a box that they don't fit into, 
not only is that do I feel bad for babies, but the, I see mothers suffering and mm. just beating themselves up and agonizing and feeling like utter failures. Yeah. When really their instincts are telling them to do exactly the right thing that works just right for their baby, it's just not the book that they have or the person, yeah. the advice that they're getting. So really take it all with a grain of salt. Be prepared to throw it out mm. if it's not suiting you and your child and have the confidence to kind of listen to that little voice in your heart saying, mm, yeah. not this, or maybe I'll pick from that and pick from that and find my own yeah, it comes down to instincts again, doesn't it? One thing you've learned about yourself after becoming a mum. Yes. Um, the th one big thing I've learned is that I need to take care of myself so that I can take care of them. Uh, if I'm not getting enough sleep or I'm not feeding myself well or if I'm not getting my me time, my, my time at the gym or I'm, I'm a very introvert person, I need enough downtime. I'm a terrible mother. Mm. And to be the mother that I really want to be, I have to invest a lot of time and energy in taking care of myself because nobody else is going <laughs> nobody yeah. else is going to do that. Um, and that's what I see with with all my clients as well. If they're really struggling with their child's behavior, I can pretty much 100% guarantee that the parents aren't getting their needs met. And so it's not a kid problem, it's usually a parent problem or a schedule problem or a lack of help problem. But again, prioritizing, you know, maybe we uh, invest our, our little bit of extra money towards having a helper come in, you know, a couple times mm. a week, um, as, as opposed to buying some luxurious baby item that we don't need, right? So um, really uh, thinking about what you need to feel whole and cared mm. for, because otherwise, nobody does well yeah and to care for our children they require a huge amount of energy and patience and sense of humor that's still true with teenagers <laughs> um i'm not i can't do it if i'm not looking after myself yeah and like you said no one else can do that for really. you what's one thing you wish someone had warned you about before you became a mum? Um, what's the one thing? I guess just all the uncertainty and the self-doubt, though I knew that was going to happen. But, but the, the, they, they say that the last time you know everything there is to know about parenting is just before your baby is born. <laughs> <laughs> and it's easy beforehand to think, oh yeah, this is the kind of parent I'm going to be and this is what we're going to do. And then to be confronted with a real-life human who never is exactly the human you fantasized about because they are who they are. Um, yeah, you're just muddling through, trial and error, making mistakes, uh, forgiving yourself for those mistakes, um, picking up and trying something else and, and trying yeah. to, to do your best. I kind of knew that, but that's something I continue to relearn. Yeah, the reality is, is <laughs> the reality, different. And that you're never going to be perfect, that you're just going to muddle through. Everybody else is too. You do the best you can. Yeah, everyone's winging it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about being a mom? Um, my favorite thing, uh, I would have to say, is, is watching them become the kind, unique, interesting, surprising people that they are. Uh, I never could have predicted or, or, or pushed them to be somebody because they constantly surprise me. Um, the things that they feel passionate about, the things that they're good at, uh, the kind of people they are. Um, it's just, it, I find it quite miraculous and fascinating. Mm. 
And I've heard it just gets better and better and better. Yeah, well. it does. I mean, it's fun to see who they are becoming now as young women, but even as infants, to, to, to spend the time to get to know the person who the universe mm. sent you was just endlessly fascinating to me. And thinking, well, my friend's baby does that, but nope, that's not who I got. I got yeah. this one. And then, you know, when you have one baby, you sort of think, well, this is what babies are like, or this is how I raise babies. And then I had a second baby, and she was so different. It was really this realization of, oh, no, that was just the person you were, and that was what you needed at that time mm. in your life. And this person is different and has different needs, and it changes every week when they're small. Um, yeah, if you find it... Uh, stressful or if you're trying to this is my theory if you're trying to to fit them into this box that they don't fit in I think everybody's going to be miserable mm. but if you kind of the parents I see enjoying it are the ones who kind of take it as a science experiment and they're observing and they're experimenting yeah. and shifting what they do that's when it becomes it's a science it's an art it's I fun. think that's what my brother and I've been so lucky with my mom because she and I'm only really really seeing this now as I get older and yeah. I'm now pregnant, she just encouraged the things that we were naturally drawn to rather than, you know, when you're little, you try a bit of everything, don't yeah. you? But things that we were naturally interested in, she would then um, encourage and yeah. support with. And I think that's something I want to, to take in because sure, there's different influences, but I, I believe that they come out who they are. Mm. They are their own people. So I think yeah a, a lot of times and maybe that's you know pressures from from other family members or just mm. things maybe you missed out on that yeah. you that you want for your child you have the best intention but maybe it's it's not for them yeah so there's a wonderful theory um, by a woman named Alison Gopnik called uh, about the gardener parent and the carpenter parent and the carpenter the carpenter right they've got a plan and it's measured and it's defined mm -hmm. and you if you follow the instructions to the letter you're pretty much going to get the end result that you planned for there might be a few variations but you're going to get that item the gardener parent you know gets a seed plants the seed has to you know make sure the soil is right and water it and make sure the light is right and oh it's not doing so well here so we're going to move it to a different spot or we're going to add more water or less water and you nurture it but you have no idea what you're going to get or how it's going to turn out, and it's kind of a miraculous, wonderful thing at the end. And I just find that really defines my my feeling about it, that if I was trying to work to a plan and end mm -hmm. up with a, with a set result, we'd all be really disappointed, uh, and it would be just unrealistic. Um, but to kind of think, oh, can I get the environment just right so that this little seed can become exactly the tree that it was destined yeah. to become that's that i find really much more oh, fulfilling i love that yeah, that's so that beautiful okay last question yeah. amy what does motherhood mean to you in three words oh growing and raising humans mm -hmm. like the seed that's what it means <laughs> to me. yep exactly <laughs> yeah oh that's yeah. amazing yeah. And this is what's happening right now yeah, in my tummy. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. When you think, why am I so tired? Or why am I so... You're growing a person. You're growing a person. And then when they're out and you don't get anything done, you, you find... Yeah. I mean, my mothers all say, I sat on the couch all day and I got nothing else done. You kept that baby alive all day and you gave them everything they mm. needed to, to thrive. It is a daunting, exhausting, 24-7, but really fulfilling, uh, awe-inspiring 
thing that, that we're doing. Um, and yeah, I think I, I think mothers wait. are superheroes. I, I do. I, I see a lot of mothers, and I've yet to meet one who's not a superhero. Amen. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Amy, I'm going to put all your information in the show notes so people can find you on Instagram. Great. They can visit your Love Parenting UAE website. Um, we're also going to have your business partner, Jasmine, on the podcast as well Excellent. next week. Um, so thank you so much. And um, I'm definitely going to come to some of your classes. And just thank you for all your knowledge and, and wisdom. So thank you. Great. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much once again to Amy for her time and knowledge. You can find links to Amy's social pages, website, and her contact details in the show notes below. If you'd like to find out who my guests will be on the next episode of Bumps and Babies, please do follow us on Instagram at LifeSchoolME, where you can keep up to date with all our news and find information on all our amazing guests. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Life School ME the podcast to help us reach and hopefully inspire more listeners. Thank you for listening to Life School, conversations to inspire action. <laughs>